0: Who is the most underrated actor of all time? It's Dolph Lundgren. Correct. Why? Well, because of his uh, spiky hair, his ice-cold demeanor, and his big muscles. Absolutely. I must break you.
1: (laughs) The guilty will be punished. My name is Sergeant... Andrew Scott Come on guys, don't do this If I don't get breakfast, I get real grumpy I don't think you like me grumpy
0: And you go in pieces, asshole Let's kick some ass Hello and welcome back to I Must Break, this podcast the fan podcast celebrating the cinematic career of action legend Dolph Lundgren. Today, we're going back to 2013 and discussing the action-adventure film, Legendary. In this hybrid of Indiana Jones, The Mummy, and other classic adventure serials, Dolph teams up with Scott Adkins once again, this time where they play two rival expedition crews who travel to China to capture... A mythical beast that isn't supposed to exist.
1: What is that? Something in the fish.
0: There's been another attack. It's huge. I've never seen anything like it. Don't you think it'd make one hell of a trophy?
1: Dr. Travis Preston. My client would very much like to engage your services.
0: We heard you have some sort of animal on the loose here. Whatever it is, it's big, it's stealthy, and it's smart.
1: I'm here to help stop the attacks.
0: I'm you're a little late, Dr. Preston. If I get a shot, I'll
1: take it. Are we clear?
0: People need a professional like me, and not an amateur like you. Something's just appeared beneath us. 300 yards out, coming in fast. 200, 100...
1: Predators understand predators. You shoot to wound.
0: I shoot to kill.
1: This isn't a game Park Hawk, Hawker. Do you feel threatened, Dr. Preston? He doesn't need to die?
0: Everything needs to die, Travis, even you.
1: Hold on! Coming back around! It's coming! I'll be the one to put it down!
0: Your host Sean, and returning to the show once again is my buddy Richard Hawes from the DTV Digest. Richard, thanks again for coming back, man.
1: It's great to be back. Thank you for for inviting me. Uh, always good to talk about uh, Dolph Lundgren.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, you and I, this one has been percolating for quite a while. I mean, I know I know you're, I mean, is it fair to say you're a big fan of this one, right? You, uh, you saw a lot of merit in this one that uh, made it worthy of discussion. So I was, I mean, I'll, I'll just, you know, put it out there right now. I was unfairly going to sandwich this one as part of a, a combo episode. And I remember you were pretty much like, no, this film needs its own discussion. So, So thank you again for coming back.
1: No, it's great. No, I it, it, it disagree. I do think, um, it's, it, it's quite an interesting one. It's not one that, uh, some of the fans, especially Scott Atkins fans wanted at the time. But I think if you can go back and look at it in hindsight, uh, you can see a lot of merit in it, I think.
0: Well, and before we get rolling with this one, I mean, you and I, um, the last time I had you bat on, it was, uh, it was safe, and we we cracked open a couple beverages. So, um, if it's okay with you, I'm getting ready to crack open my next one. I'm, I'm assuming you have yours ready to rock and roll as well.
1: Right? Got it right here, yep.
0: All right, okay. So I just opened mine. Um, you and I, it, this is purely coincidental, we should say. But you and I both apparently are going for a beach. Theme, I guess, with this recording. <laughs> um, I have a; uh, it, it's called a Mountain Beach uh, uh, b- a beer from the uh, Breckenridge Brewery. Um, oh, there, there's the crack of yours too. Uh, mine has pineapple, lime, and gava uh, You have a cider once again, is that right?
1: Yes, it's a it's a pina colada cider. I've never had that before. I, I just found it in the supermarket. It's pineapple and coconut. So uh, oh, there it you go. Be pretty interesting.
0: Man, and, and and now that I'm thinking about this, perhaps. This beach theme would have been more appropriate for safe, not this
1: <laughs> that would have been, yes that would have been but i don't th- I didn't come across this one at the time i don't think they stopped it I think it was just um yeah that would that would have been a a, a, a perfect uh, a time to to drink this one but hey we're going to be by a lake it's pretty close isn't it it's,
0: uh... it's very close yeah I just think it's 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 interesting that for this um chinese based Production. You and I both are drinking a, a couple of manly beverages uh, infused with pineapple. There you go. <laughs> there you go. So, um, well, I mean, look. I mean, if you look at the at the show, I, I feel kind of bad, but i've I've kind of unfairly glossed over this one throughout my rundown of uh, uh, of Lundgren's entire filmography. And I, I wouldn't say. I mean, it, it's not my favorite Dolph Lundgren film. I'll just get that right out of the way right now. But I don't think I glossed over it necessarily because it's a bad movie. Um, I think in the end, it's a film that is kind of easily forgotten amidst all of his other films. I mean, this was filmed Mm. around the same time as Expendables 2, Universal Soldier, Day of Reckoning, uh, and a number of other titles, okay? And at Mm. the time I first saw it, there really wasn't much for me to get excited about, and so I Mm. kind of forgot about it, uh, as, as, as time marched on. I mean, and like I said earlier, I mean, yeah, it it was, it was filmed around the same time as Expendables 2 and Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning. So this kind of came out in the midst of these other films that, I mean, for lack of better terms, I think were better than this particular one. So this is one that just kind of languished behind and kind of, um, and kind of sat. And I think in many respects, I don't know where you stand on it, but I think in many respects, I think it's also a film that, um, that both Lundgren and Scott Atkins have kind of forgotten about as well.
1: Yeah, I think they probably both moved on quite. Quick. I mean, both of them have a their, their careers run at quite a pace anyway. So I think this is probably. I mean, even though it's less than ten years ago, um, it's probably like a really sort of distant memory for them. For them now, they probably uh, moved on to you know the more exciting projects. I mean, for Scott, this was something a bit different in which he it, it wasn't a he was the lead but it's not an action heavy role. It was kind of a, he was injured at the time. So he took a different kind of project. So that, that was probably, that was more the impetus, I think from, for him taking this particular role. Uh, And with Dolph, you know, he was signing on for various, (laughs) various things. And I, I I like to think that he saw something in the character here that was of interest. And I think he did bring, you know, he does, he definitely brings something to the role, Um, but perhaps because, you know, with one thing or another, I, I don't think the film turned out quite the way everyone was hoping. Um, although not as bad as maybe some people might think, uh, but uh, I don't think it necessarily was the project that everyone had in mind. So it wasn't uh, in. I think um, maybe they sort of put it put just sort of. Oh, I'm going to move on to the next thing now, and you know they probably don't think too much about it. For example, um, S- uh, Scott Adkins did an interview with Dolph for the Art of Action series that he did. And at no point in that episode do they talk about working on Legendary. Um, they talk, you know, they talk about things like Castle Falls and stuff. But, um, but yeah, I think there's there's too many other there's too many other things on their minds, and the, the things that people want to hear them talk about. And you know, the, there's there's not a lot of information out there about Legendary.
0: Yeah, it's it's you know what well, you know. It's really interesting because I think on the offset, this particular film, it does have some interesting things that I think sound intriguing to someone who is coming in with zero idea of what the final product is, okay? I mean, for one, you have Scott Atkins and Dolph Lundgren, two action stars, okay, in this expedition-style film where they're hunting down this legendary monster. I think that right there, that, Okay, two action stars in this kind of wannabe Indiana Jones type tale where they're tracking down this monster, like we keep saying. I think that is a cool conceit. I think as I watched this again and the the two elements that I think I'm going to keep coming back to, I think, unfortunately... Uh, It doesn't use its three stars, I think we can say, to its full potential. I mean, first of all, um, Dolph Lundgren and Scott Atkins, I don't think it really utilizes them to their full potential and what we know and what we like seeing them do. And I think in the end, I think what is actually, in some respects, kind of a bigger crime is that the titular monster of this film, I imagine we're going to be getting to the monster, but the titular Mm. monster of this film I don't think that is used to its full potential either. So in the end, you're watching this film that just kind of, in a lot of respects, just kind of lays there in the end. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I think that's. I think I don't think that's unfair. I think there's the problem. There are problems with the uh, the pacing and the presence of the creature and when the creature is revealed. You know, uh, the, what the creature actually looks like. I think maybe uh, <laughs> it's there's some there's some slight problems there and there's a little. And I'd also say there's a little bit of a joined up problem in terms of what they filmed and trying to add in the visual effects and make it match up. It's quite. It's not as. Yeah. Uh, you know, there, there, there's the body move. Let's say somebody's being attacked by the monster. The body movements and stuff don't match up with the animation that they then put on top of them and stuff like that. So there's there's little little, little quibbles there. Um, I don't know if it was a well, it wasn't a. Fast shoot. I think they, I think they actually shot it over like three months. So they they had a fair amount of time. Uh, and you know, there's n- a lot of it is it's on location. It's walking around, walking around China. Uh, you know, rural rural areas of China. So I would imagine they had the time to do all the, you know, retakes and everything for, you know, what they were planning to do, you know, the, the, the visualization of what the monster was, you know, holding up the, holding up the little ball on a stick or whatever that was supposed to be the, the monster that, that the guys were running away from or whatever. But yeah, I think maybe possibly the low budget nature of the production, perhaps. I mean, I don't think it was, it's not that low budget, but if you, if, I mean it was I think the budget was about 12 million that's what it's been reported as which is considerably lower than uh, I like to uh, so a comparable project to this uh, that people would have heard of I would say would be the Meg because that right. that's another movie with a with a British you know lead uh, it's a Chinese co-production with a big monster and stuff there isn't I don't think in that movie there's actually a a Dolph Lundgren type antagonistic character that I recall, but I don't remember the film very well, to be honest, but the, um, but that had like a $130 million budget. So there's a massive difference there. And I think, so I think a lot of it is just sort of general, maybe the sort of general shooting and sort of trying to get the, the location shoots and stuff. And then unfortunately some of the monster stuff might've been more of a bit of an afterthought, um, Although I still think it, I think it actually stands up reasonably well on repeated viewings. I think on that initial viewing, you might be a bit, uh, you know, slightly dumbfounded um, by it. But I think some of the beats and stuff work quite well. And yeah, it's as I say, as we go through it, I think we'll point out you know, there are strengths here, but it's not the mm-hmm. film that you're going to exp- that any of us expected going into it. Uh, I think there's, you know, for one thing, it's advertised with Dolph as the main star, uh, like on the poster, he was on the left, Scott was on the right, at least in most versions of the poster that I've seen. So, and Dolph is not the lead. Dolph is the antagonist who turns up every now and again. Uh, and Scott is the lead. And I think um, people would, would one, A, you know, they might be disappointed that Dolph isn't in it that much. Two, they might be disappointed that with, the, uh, with uh, Scott, you know, not being, you know, doing all the high kicking stuff that he's most well known for. And three, the, you know, the monster factor. So, but I think coming back to, but especially, um, uh, on, re- say, on the, these repeated viewings, I, I say I, I was quite charmed by it the first time and I still do think there's a lot of charm in there. Uh, and, uh, I think the, um, we'll hopefully, uh, highlight, you know, why that is, uh, as, as we're going through the, through the story. like My my pina colada cider and it's very tasty.
0: Yeah, actually I'm surprised. I don't have a cider, you know, mine is just a a fruity flavored beer, but mine is actually pretty tasty as well. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think there is a, um, in the end, when you look at a a film like this, I think there is a certain kind of novelty in seeing these two action stars and tough guys occupying the same space on screen and in a movie together. I mean, let's face it, that that right there is the entire gimmick behind films like uh, The Expendables, obviously, and Escape Plan and uh, Tango and Cash and whatnot. So here I think it's, it's very welcome. And especially, I mean, look, Dolph Lundgren and Scott Adkins have an amazing chemistry with one another. I mean, this is evidenced in films like uh, Expendables 2 and Universal Soldier: Day of Reckoning, as we keep saying. So when you hear that they are in this film together, okay, that right there is pretty exciting. However, there are virtually zero action sequences in in this film. There is only one punch thrown in this entire 90-minute film, and that is by um, Atkins, which, I mean, and... I mean, I go back on this uh, a multiple couple of ways, Rich. I mean, on one hand, I think, okay, that right there is kind of an intriguing aspect, okay, that you have two action stars together in a film with virtually zero action in it. So if you are a Scott Atkins or a Dolph Lundgren completist, then you may look at that and you may think, Okay, that's pretty fun. That's pretty novel. But if you're not, okay, and you want to go into this and you're renting it thinking, oh, it is a new Dolph movie, it is a new Scott Atkins movie. Okay, we're going to be seeing some kicking, maybe where they're teaming up and kicking a monster. And then we don't get any of that. And so you you watch it in the end, okay, after the when the credits start rolling in this, you almost half wonder if maybe anyone else should have been cast and maybe anyone else should have been a cast. But again, I think, that in a, in a weird way that that's kind of for me part of the charm, but also the frustration. You know what I mean? You have these two action stars in a PG thirteen monster movie with zero action whatsoever.
1: Yeah, it's a bit weird, especially as, like you say, this is coming off of. I mean, one of the films that they did previously, you previous you mentioned was Universal Soldier: Day of Reckoning, which is such a high standard of a film, which such great action. You know that, that you know this is. Very different. Uh, I mean, they're they're both. I would say they're both very well shot movies. You know, they're both um, very high standard of you know the quality of the cinematography and stuff. But we don't have, you know, nearly the the amount of you know. Uh, I mean, Scott say was injured and whatever at the time. But he, and that, yes, they they only have basically froze one punch. I think there's a little bit of a tussle at the end, um, and there's <laughs> a, some. Some stuff, uh, but it's all—it's all basically verbal sparring uh, between between right. the two characters, basically. And yeah, I think this is pitched very differently. So I think, uh, whereas you know, Day of Reckoning or whatever, you would never be able to. It's not a family film or anything. This is like perfect, innocuous Sunday afternoon kind of fair. It's it's you know, obviously trying to sort of ride the coattails a little bit of things like Jurassic Park and let like you say the Mummy. Uh, and I think it does, it it, it 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 does what it sort of sets out to in that regard. I think um, the uh, the but yes, so it but it it, it is a, an oddity it, by virtue of say uh, what you're saying with Scott Atkins and Dolph, you're not going to get what you're you're thinking you're going to get, which sadly is kind of par for the course of a lot of this stuff these days. I mean, with yeah, uh, when the Castle Falls came out so all these years later there was a fear that, oh, yeah, they're both on the, you know, they're both on the cover, um, uh, Dolph's directing, whatever, but we're not we're probably not going to see them together that much. And it was actually quite a pleasant surprise when there was a lot of action involving them both. They were both, you know, in the film a lot. And that was actually a much higher thing. This one is, um, yeah, it's more of, it's, I wouldn't say Dolph is kind of guest starring in this one because it's a bit more, there's a bit more going on than that but uh it it's it's definitely sort of uh, it's scott's show it's a, it's a scott movie more than more than a dolph movie but i think dolph ma- dolph certainly makes his presence felt albeit um not with any part- you know it, it's it's just him looking menacing with a gun basically for the most part it's it's yeah. not him actually doing anything nasty he's actually you know in in the realms of bad guys He's he, he's cannot, he's kind of talking a good he's kind of talking the game all the time. He's not actually doing anything particularly nasty. His his motivation, his character's motivation, is is that he would rather shoot the monster, whereas Scott would rather, uh, sorry, Travis uh, played by Scott would rather um, uh, save it and preserve, you know, take it to a uh, to a somewhere to sort of be studied and and stuff. So that's that's it really there's not there's not a lot more to it than that he's he's not an, he's not an evil character he's just um that's just he, he he's just he doesn't see the value in you know the the preserving the life of any animal whether it's a a, a fantastical you know sort of uh, mythological you know cr- uh, cryptid I believe they call it or or not although in this although in this movie he's he's not he's not as convinced as Scott is that it is a um a mythological creature. He thinks it might be like a crocodile or, or, or something.
0: Well, I mean, that, that's an excellent segue because that's what I was going to get into. I mean, this is, as you said, this is Scott Atkins movie, which is fine, okay? I mean, I think, I think as we look back on it, this film was actually a good opportunity for, for Scott Atkins. okay? I mean, he was nursing, I think it was in uh, knee surgery or he had a, a, a bum knee at the time. And so this was an opportunity for him to uh, to get work while not fully exerting himself like he does, uh, like he typically does in films, right? And, and with this one, I mean, you can see, just like with every film Scott Atkins does, I feel like I always say this on, on the podcast, but I mean, Scott Atkins, he gives 110% to every film that he does regardless of the level of the, uh, uh, you know, of the production. I mean, and he's also gone on record in saying that he is a trained actor. So I think this film is an interesting showcase for him to show off his charisma rather than just his muscles and kicks, I think, which, which is a nice change of pace. And, and you said it already, okay, the, the two lead characters that we have here who are at odds with one another, uh, we have Scott Atkins. He plays Travis Preston, okay, this is the lead. He is a cryptozoologist. I had to look this this up to see if that was actually a an actual profession um, <laughs> but he's a cryptozoologist who wants to ensure that so, so so both both parties I guess we should say are on the hunt for um for this legendary monster, we should say, and uh, Scott Atkins, yeah, he is more of the uh, environmentalist, I guess we can say. Um, he wants to ensure that the um, that the beast is captured, but also studied. Okay, he's basically our Indiana Jones esque adventurer here, only instead of mythical objects and places, he's after creatures and monsters. And then Dolph Lundgren, he's the antagonist. He plays Harker, who is. Extremely one note, this entire movie. He's just this famed bounty hunter of mythical creatures who basically likes to capture them as trophies. And so you think that you're going into this and you hear that, okay, they're going to be on each other's tail trying to uh, uh, capture this monster. Unfortunately, the the film, I found, really doesn't come alive until its final 25 minutes.
1: Yeah, I think the... um... A lot of it. I mean, there's there's an early scene uh, which we'll get to where Scott basically runs after trying to find the creature. They think oh the creature's over there, and he sorts something. And I don't know if they just didn't have the money or something for the thing, but the scene really goes nowhere. It's literally just Scott running through running through the um, through grass basically is, and that's a uh, the scene doesn't have a, a huge amount of momentum. There's not really much of a payoff. But for the rest of it, I think the um, they've tried to pace it. They've tried to do it like a, like a kind of a Jaws kind of thing. But, but where, imagine instead of like, instead of the three guys in the boat, you know, going out after the, in this case, it's, they're on, they're on different boats and they've both got different agendas. So it's like, imagine Brody actually wanted to not kill the shark. He wanted to save the shark, but everyone else was, uh, you know, um, that uh, Quint was, was just trying to kill, kill the shark. So uh, anyway, that was just all came to mind. But the, um, the fa- uh, going back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of expectations, and that the early there's some early uh, what I take as of promo shots, like promotional stills for the movie that are on the IMDb page, and one of them is Scott without his shirt doing a sort of splits high kick, uh, and, and nothing like that happens in the movie. So I don't know if they yeah. had exactly what they were trying to sell at one point, and then they were just like, no, we, you know, he's, it's not going to be him like fighting. Fighting the monster in in a sort of, sort of you know the way like when the Meg came out and everyone was joking, oh Jason Statham's going to be doing like punching the sh- punching the giant shark on the nose and and stuff like that. But it's not it's um yeah. So Scott is throwing himself into the performance as as the character and not as an action as sort of an action role. He's trying to be he's playing. Like, I'd like to say this. Um, Cryptozoologist. Uh, he's an American, so he's putting on the American accent again, which is a little bit off-putting to me now because I'm more used to him using his natural accent uh, or, or variations of his natural accent. You know, being British basically. Uh, and I do. I'm not 100. I, I, it takes me, it takes me a little bit out of the movie uh, when when uh, when Scott's playing an American, and but I, it was making me think when I was watching it. Dolph's accent is kind of. Amer- he, he kind of sounds American, and I was thinking, does Dolph put on the act, Because Dolph being Swedish, it, it started to make me think: when has his accent naturally changed? You know, is that is that how he speaks now, or is he putting on an accent? And no, that is how he speaks. He's use, he's talking the way he speaks. He's just he doesn't sound Swedish anymore. I think maybe you know having worked in uh, America and and that so long, he his his accent you know changed and i think he's got a great voice uh that but he doesn't have to he doesn't have to put on anything artificial whereas scott was like well they, even though this was a uh british chinese co-production they were still trying to sell it as an american movie in that sense of like so well we've got to, we can't we've got to have an american hero uh even though in the beginning he's actually based in london <laughs> uh which um i thought was quite funny because i was like well there's all these british people around him but he's not allowed to be british for some reason but i guess that's probably to do with distributors and sales and stuff and that the, they make those decisions of you know scott not being i mean this was this was a few years before scott was allowed to start uh with green thing films like green street three to actually start playing properly playing uh english characters and uh so yeah he gets he gets introduced uh uh, well, actually, I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, so I'll let you back. Tra- I'll, I'll, I'll come out now, and you can sort of set the scene of what happens at that in the opening part of the movie because I've kind of run off ahead a little bit.
0: Well, you, you said a couple things that I want to get to real quick that I don't want to, I don't want to leave alone. But I mean, with, regarding the accent, yeah, you just, you just made me realize how interesting it is how when certain actors have been ingratiated and involved in the hollywood system for as long as they have which is really interesting because this film is not a hollywood production this is a chinese production through and through but you know guys like schwarzenegger and jean-claude van damme their accents are still very very much noticeable and they always will be whereas guys like dolph for example yeah his accent is pretty much um uh, is pretty much absent. Even if you look at a guy like Mel Gibson, if you look at interviews with Mel Gibson, he's pretty much in a lot of ways lost his accent as well. And I almost kind of wonder if in interviews, he's just so used to putting on the American front that he has kind of ditched the, you know, the the Aussie lingo, I, I guess yeah. is uh, how you want to look at it. And I don't know, but, but look, before we dive into the film and there there's, uh, and that was a, poor pun intended, dive into the foam like the, the everyone dives in the water. Anyway, um, before before we get to that, because I don't really think there's much with the film that really needs to be picked apart. But one thing is, look, you and I were, were talking about this before we started recording. This particular film was – it was a big project in China. I mean, I, I guess big for – independent direct-to-video standards like like what we have here in the States. Um, first of all, it was written by Andy Briggs, directed by another gentleman by the name of Eric Stiles. Um, uh, I, you know, to be honest, I'm just going to admit it, I don't know a heck of a lot about these two guys. But if you look at their credits on IMDb, um, you know, they, they're pretty steady. They're working hard in the worlds of uh, independent direct-to-video cinema. Not a heck of a lot of action films, which I think is kind of noticeable in the final product of this film. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But if we go back to the Chinese aspect, okay, I think that right there is one of the, in a lot of respects, kind of promising aspects about this film, okay, because this was filmed in China. And I think the fact that it was going to be filmed in China was one of the, one of the big, uh, um, that that was the big impetus in getting guys like Scott Atkins and Dolph on board was, you know, going to China and and filming the movie out there. Um, It seemed to get a ton of support from the Chinese producers. And there are also, I directed you to this uh, before we, before we started recording, but yeah, there are various photos and stills that were shot when the film was in pre-production of Dolph and Scott Atkins at some kind of blessing ceremony before the cameras started rolling. I think And I have some ideas about this, but I think that the producers of this film had really, really high hopes and lofty goals and intentions of this being a series or a franchise of sorts where I guess trap... Right where I guess Travis Preston and his team go on various adventures to capture other mythical creatures, whereas um, uh, Harker is is following them as well. I mean, especially if you look at this film before the credits roll, they really set it up for a sequel, yeah. which is pretty interesting. Yeah. But yeah, this this film had some money behind it um, in terms of its um, in terms of its Chinese producers, and I will say. That right there, So sorry, I'll, 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 I'll finish here in a minute, but I think that right there is one of the promising things about this film is there are some absolutely beautiful shots of these Chinese islands and locales. And for me, looking at the, at the film, the, the, one of the perks is, like I said, that scenery. It almost makes you wonder if something could have been written utilizing all of this rather than throwing in this story about a mystical lizard monster
1: yeah i think at the i think the chinese film industry they like to they they do they do like to use their um their landscapes and they also do a lot of they do seem to love a creature feature um, there's a lot i mean a lot of them don't make their way uh, over to uh, america or the uk or whatever apart from via uh, there's like youtube channels which some of them can be found on they've done all sorts of stuff but they seem to churn them out really uh, regularly, what what I think is the case in most of them is that the special the whole film, they're Chinese films with uh, the special effects all done by China. Whereas in this case, it was more of a case of that they uh, the, the the British producers secured the support and funding in China, and the proviso was that they make it in China, and then so they shot it all there, and then they came back. And all the post-production work was done uh, outside of China, so I presume all the visual effects were all done uh, London or something. But the uh, uh, I'm not sure, but the I think that's where that they sort of uh, balanced it. Whereas I think i I think it was the theme and stuff that was really uh, the appealing aspect to the to the Chinese investors. And uh, I don't I say I don't have a huge. I mean I think it was made. For, it's an international. It was made for an international audience, but it was really kind of made for the Chinese audience mainly because that's where it ended up. You know, I think, I think there's a couple of other areas where it had theatrical, distribute, you know, distribution, but I think in most it, uh, most cases it was uh, straight to video and kind of got lost with you know uh, various other monster movies and you know Scott Adkins, you know Scott Adkins and contemporary kind of Dolph Lundgren movies are generally straight to video. They don't go. Uh, go theatrical, but in in markets like China and sometimes Japan and stuff, movies movies that are of uh, what what the rest of us call consider the DTV stuff can get theatrical releases. Like uh, so, another example would be uh, Steven Seagal's uh, Into the Sun, which was shot in Japan uh, and had a theatrical release in Japan. It was quite you know it had a, a slightly more invested into it, you know the, the, the slightly high production values, and that's the same with this. This is much, much as you say. with the cinematography, Shu uh, 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 Yang, uh, who later did a film called *The Bombing*, uh, which uh, Bruce Willis co-starred in, funnily enough, uh, released as Airstrike in the US. Uh, he, you know, they've just they've managed to cr- they've managed to get a lot of production value out of those locations and just the, the shooting it really nicely. They, I'm not sure if the caves at the end are a a set or not i think there's um, it looks pretty authentic to me from, from from the outside but the there's very little production design in the movie there's a cut there's like a, a very small what is it like because it's like all to do with this pipe uh, a pipeline uh, uh, construction project isn't it and we get a uh, there's like a very small workspace kind of environment. Uh, that, that that is used for a couple of scenes but apart from that it's it's all about the, the you know the, the lakes and stuff and uh, that's where that's what and the, and yeah so i think that's where the, the the strength of the film is with a lot of those uh, uh natural locations
0: you said a lot there but i mean as as i when i finished watching this and when we were prepping for this i started i had to kind of sit back and i had to think about it i mean look a ton of American actors, I mean, a lot of these videos can be found on YouTube, but a ton of American actors will go over to, uh, to Japan and China to film mm. various commercials for toothpaste yep. and various you know, energy drinks or whatever. And, of course, they make their way over to America, and, and we look at them and we think, golly, that's weird. But, I mean, again, kind of like this movie, I don't think this movie was not made for American audiences. I I think that's kind of what I go back to. And that's kind of, that's kind of the caveat. I think I'm going to, uh, I'm going to grade this film on. Okay. Similar to those commercials. Okay. Hmm. To um, American audiences, Western audiences, we may look at them and think like, what in the hell is this? I'm watching like, that is bizarre. That is the dumbest commercial in the world. But I mean, to, to us, I mean, it's, 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 it wasn't made for us. And I think that's kind of what, um, the way I look at this film is this was, I mean, you sent me over the box office numbers. This this had a theatrical release in China and everywhere else it was uh, it was put on uh, DVD. It wasn't even put on DVD. It was literally just kind of dumped on VOD with zero promotion. Interestingly, this was uh, like we talked about. This was. I guess it was planned. The idea was that it was going to have uh, a few sequels attached to it as well. Um, it was uh, filmed and shot apparently in 3D. There were quite a few. There, there was really only like two moments in the movie where I thought, okay, that probably would have been the 3D moment there. And I think it also, they also had the, the I guess, did a mobile game come out for this? Or was it released or was it in development?
1: well it it was i mean it was there was a trailer which is on youtube which was saying that it was coming out so it seemed to be ready to come out that they were just it was advertising it to just be released but how you know i i don't think it was potentially anything more than a mobile game but i'm not sure but interesting that was what that was something i just presumed would have been a chinese development a chinese developer producing that video game but the company it looks like the company that made it was in uh, is in uh, i think northern ireland uh, i don't know much about it apart from that but what i thought oh, was interesting. really interesting what i really quite what struck me about the video game footage was that it looked like you play as harker uh, and that harker is the sort of the hero of the, in terms of this sort of scrolling video game or whatever it was but there what there didn't seem to be much sign of uh, the travis character who is the main character in the movie? But in the game, is, is they definitely seem to wanted to fo- they wanted to focus on the Dolph, uh, the Dolph style, the Dolph character. So uh, whether that was because um, they just were working on a different brief, they didn't understand what the movie was or something. But the 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 footage of the game is very represent. You can tell it is base it is an adaptation or a- based on. On this movie because the creature looks like it you know the, the settings and, and stuff that are in there look okay it's very very you know rough standard I would say of a video game but uh, yeah I'd love to find out a little bit more but it's it's like apart from that clip on YouTube it's there's, there's not really any information out there about it
0: well I mean if we Just look at the film. I mean, like you said, we can get through this fairly quickly because, I mean, there's not there's not a heck of a lot um, uh, to this film. I mean, the film starts and introduces us to our two leads pretty much immediately. And we see very clearly that uh, Preston and Harker have different methods and and morals, I think we can say, for capturing their creatures. Um, This time they're on the trail of a massive bear um, which is the first of some questionable CGI, <laughs> I think we could say. And a member of Scott Atkins' character, his character is Preston. Obviously, a member of his character is killed, and so this event makes Preston feel responsible. Um, as a result, Preston and Harker have parted ways, and they've now become enemies. And so, what this has given us with the um, with Scott Atkins' character is he's kind of he kind of has the. Uh, the character who's, uh, I guess we can say, a a tortured soul, okay, who's kind of doubting himself and his methods. His next assignment is to go to China, where they are to capture um, another beast, okay? So this is the the legendary character where the film derives its name. Um, This beast, okay, is a uh, mythical lizard monster. And, of course, Dolph's character, Harker, is also on the trail of this beast and is hoping to nab it first. That's that's pretty much the impetus for the film. And interestingly, I mean, we're, we're going to get to the cave here in a minute, but not much really happens. I mean, we, we talked about this a, a few yeah. minutes ago, but not much really happens between the team being assigned with tracking down the beast to then entering the beast's cave. I mean, all that pretty much happens in that, uh, in the interim between the assignment to the cave is maybe a few moments where some nameless characters are snatched out of the water by the, uh, the legendary monster. Yeah. That's about it. I mean, I feel like the entire movie is just a giant setup to the final act where they go to the, uh, the beast's lair, which happens to be a cave.
1: Yeah. What I think is interesting is that in, in movies like this, typically, they, especially given the title, I mean, the title is legendary. Um, originally, legendary Tomb of the Dragon, and in some cases, it's just known as Tomb of the Dragon or variations thereof. But they don't. There's no mythology about the creature. There's no. They, you know, there might be a thing where they walk into the caves and they see cave paintings and stuff, or there might be. You know, legends are passed around by the locals that they talk about. Oh, this this thing is. It's like literally, this thing appears from nowhere. And there's n- nobody has any information about it whatsoever. Uh, there's, there's not any, there's no history to the creature at all, uh, which I thought was quite interesting. Cause that would be the, that's normally the way that the, the running time is filled is with the sort of investigation part of it. And in this case, there is a, there is running around and they talk to a couple of people, but it's, it's more like a giant, you know, it could be a giant, um, it could be a giant crocodile or whatever it is. It doesn't, it's not, it's not a legendary creature. There is no legend. Do you see what I mean? It just sort of <laughs> seems a bit strange that they, they yeah, yeah. No. I mean, they've t- gone with that title.
0: Well, that's. I mean, that's that's my second big issue with the film. So let's just get to that right now. I think the main monster of this film is the major issue. I mean, I, I feel like I would almost forgive a lot of this film's, um, a lot of the negatives, I, I guess, of this film, if, especially with how. Um, Lundgren and Scott Atkins are utilized. I almost would leave that alone if the monster was cool. And I feel like that's probably the biggest issue I think with the film is the fact that this monster is just so basic and plain looking. I mean, I you and I were talking again a few weeks back, but I gave the relic a rewatch a few weeks back, okay? Directed by Peter Hyams, 1996, I believe. Tom Sizemore, Penelope Ann Miller, okay? And it's it's an okay movie, but I think what I appreciated about that film the most is the fact that, okay, for the first two acts of that movie, it keeps the main monster in the dark for most of the film. But then, in the final act, when he is released and shown, that beast is a spectacle to see. I mean, it just looks... Awesome. Okay. Here, with this particular film, when it is finally released and we finally see what the beast looks like, all it is is just a great big overgrown iguana or, or something like that. You know,
1: it's like an iguana. Or gecko. Salamander, yeah, it's like, a, it's like or a gecko salamander iguana. Yeah. yeah.
0: Which yeah. is just not scary, I don't think. I don't think it's intimidating at all or really even interesting it's more like it, it's in the like least. A giant, so as I was watching this, could I be was a thinking, Man, <laughs> if anything, like, put, put the money and the budget towards something bigger, better, and more inventive than what's on screen here. But for, you know, for this film to be hyping it up to, okay, this legendary beast, this legendary monster, and for it to just be a giant gecko, iguana thing, it was like, that for me was a major letdown
1: yeah and there's not there's not much that's dragon like about it even, whether no matter which way you look at it it's it's not i mean i know they dropped the dragon part and maybe that's why <laughs> maybe the in in most territories where it's say it's just legendary maybe they dropped the dragon bit because they weren't actually uh we we can't afford to make a dragon <laughs> so we're just gonna we're just gonna make a big gecko iguana kind of thing you know there's the certain bits of it look a little bit like the godzilla from like nineteen 19- 98 but for the most part it's it's yeah it's it's a big gecko um it's i say it's not it's not a particularly intimidating looking creature at all uh the bear actually at the at the opening is a scarier creature um yeah that's quite that's for for all its flaws there it, there is some intensity there and stuff but the the um the stuff going on with the gecko and stuff is yeah it's 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 a bit damp but again sort of i guess makes it more family friendly that it's not this horrific creature. There's not a lot. There is a little bit of the play on the horror kind of elements, but less than Jaws, I would say, you know, there's no, there's, there's no blood in the water or anything like that. There's no blood at all. I don't think there's uh, people get thrown around and somebody gets taken, but you don't ever see any blood that I recall. Uh, Do correct me if I'm wrong on that. Uh, It's very, it's all very, like you say, PG 13 kind of family friendly stuff. um And uh I just want to go back to the start, which, because one thing I know, thought about when I watched it recently was that, op- that opening, uh, that t- tragedy at the start, where the, and, and the burden that the hero has. I thought, isn't it funny that that's essentially a variation on the start of Expendables 2. Only it, in Expendables 2, when Liam, Cunt- uh, Liam Hemsworth dies, Stallone knows who you know. There's there's somebody he can go after, and and that's the impetus of the story. It's a revenge thing. Whereas in this one, Dolph's there you know, he, Dolph isn't responsible, so it's not like he's going to go after Dolph. It's kind of like it's ju- they just kind of move past that point. But I thought it was interesting how the, these two movies that came out so close together have essentially got a variation on the same setup, but they but then they run off it in different direction, um, both having obviously Dolph Lundgren in
0: well, I think that's that's action movie shorthand is if if you want to yeah. make your your character your your lead hero if you will have a flaw if you will then um yeah i mean it, it's it's the cliffhanger syndrome right okay the, yes. this character yes, is absolutely. good at what he or she does, but um we're gonna have a an event happen at the beginning of the movie that's gonna cause the hero to kind of doubt his or her methods, yes. which is just kind of frustrating because. The characters that are in um, that are in Scott Atkins' group, they're for the most part really pretty much given nothing. And so, when some of them are eaten by the monster or killed, you really don't even care. You almost kind of forget that they're even there. You know what I mean? Hmm. Like they're it, it, they're 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 kind of nothing in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Well, let's go for these. Let's go for these characters. then. so, start, starting with Scott. Scott's really not got a lot to work with here. I mean, there's one moment where. No. Somebody says, Oh, tell us your backstory. And he goes, Oh, we were a ki- when I was a kid and I went and saw this creature and, and stuff. That's the only real character. Moment. There's no depth to any of the character. I mean, there's some relationships are kind of, uh, you know, sort of in, uh, you know, romantic relationships are what are hinted at, but nothing actually even fully develops there. So there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of character and there's not a lot of character development. It's very on the surface. It's, there's not, there's apart from, uh, he, you know, the, so he's feeling some remorse And that about the the opening event sort of it, and sort of bears some resentment there. But, um, but that's kind of they ditch that; they they don't really dwell on that too much. It's kind of that was something that happened, and then oh we're off on the. He he doesn't take that much encouraging to go on his next mission, uh, and then it's all sort of the clean slate. And he doesn't really get to do anything. They sort of introduce a few characters, his few characters in the first scene, and then when they get to China, they introduce a couple more. Uh, and there's a little bit of conflict between some of the characters of what of, of internal conflict let that say one of the Chinese characters is working with Harker and then she's like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be working with Harker. Maybe I should be working with Travis. But it's there's nothing <laughs> there's, there's, there's nothing more. Is there? It's, it's. I mean, I mean, it's kind of I mean, this is a, a less than 80 minute, a, a less than 90 minute movie. There's not a lot of, you know, it's all sort of it's quite fast paced for what it is, even though there's not a huge amount happening. Um, but yeah, the, the characters are very, Oh, he's that guy who's gonna sort of crack the jokes. Okay. That's that guy. And he, Oh, here's that guy. Who's going to be sort of the guy bankrolling it. And he's going to be the sort of eyes of the audience of the new, new person in the environment and all the sense of wonder and, and what, and we're not, there's not really going to be any more than that. It's like, it's, it's all very on the surface. Um, I don't mind that too much. Uh, you know, I didn't, I, it didn't, de- wasn't detrimental to the film, but I think in the case of Scott Adkins, I think they really needed more for him to be able to do, especially because he couldn't do the action uh, and they didn't have much for him to do. So the, the Dolph ends up stealing the movie by virtue of him having the more interesting character. And uh, I think I, 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 I really like Dolph in this. I think he if he, he, he actually fits the film really well. He's clearly enjoying himself. Uh he, I I loved all his uh deliveries and and uh, uh the uh, uh yeah the sort of uh him just sort of being a bit uh I don't know sort of playful with the sort of meanness or whatever. He was he was he was, yeah. a, he, he, was I, I, he was good. I liked him.
0: The moment yeah the, the I mean, moment again, he doesn't have anything to do. <laughs> Yeah, well, the moment where Dolph um, comes face to face with the lizard and he stares up at it and he kind of does this awesome, oh. you know, kind of gulp face, you know what I mean? And that's, then he that's gets. That's terrible. That is terrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I laughed at it because, I mean, it's just, I mean, we've never seen Dolph act. That ridiculous before, so yeah, he comes face to face with the lizard, and the lizard's getting ready to eat him, and he stares up at it. He does this ridiculous kind of face, right? And then he gets thrown across the cave, and then lands, yeah. and then is knocked out. You'd think that that would kill him, or better yet, you'd think that the monster would eat him. But I guess no, because they were planning on him coming back for a sequel that uh that never materialized. You know, as yeah. as, as I was <laughs> as I was watching this, I was thinking to myself. Okay, I mean, obviously, look, I don't think it's entirely fair to call out the CGI um, because, I mean, <laughs> there are moments where the CGI is very, very laughable and goofy, and and look, if you look at this film online, virtually ninety nine point nine percent of all of the review, all of the reviews call out the the CGI as being terrible, and I mean, look, it, it's it's not fantastic. We could just say that, but I think as as I look upon this, I think feel like the the big one of the big issues, because there, there are a few issues, like we keep saying, but I think one of the other issues is that the film takes itself way too seriously. OK, and I feel like, OK, if you if you're going into this at one of these producers or whatever, and you know that you're not working with a heck of a lot or you know that the special effects that you're going to be um, that you're going to be employing are not going to be top notch. Then I think there are one of two ways you can go about this. One is. You can keep the monster in the shadows for pretty much the entire movie and have the characters dealing with that. Okay, that's one way. The other way I think you can go about it is if you do have bad CGI effects like this film does, then don't take it so seriously. Have fun with it. And make it one of those um, sci fi channel original movies, like a Sharknado, if you will, where everybody is playing the role completely tongue-in-cheek and ridiculous and goofy. And I think if you go about it that way, then the final product is at least going to be a little bit more endearing. But unfortunately, it doesn't do either of those things. It takes itself super seriously. Then when you do see this uh, this giant um, gecko monster that is attacking them, and then, I mean, let's face it, <laughs> you mentioned it already, but there are moments where the CGI is... Passable, i think but it's when the human actors are interacting with the lizard where it looks ridiculous i mean mainly there's a scene where scott adkins is yeah. wrestling an off him and he's kind of holding his rifle up to protect himself i can only imagine how funny those behind the scenes videos were of uh of, of scott adkins <laughs> at the moment but do you see what i'm saying about the the seriousness versus the silliness of this film and how they could have leaned into it
1: I think so I think so yeah but I'll be honest I caught I'm I'm not I don't have a huge amount of problem with the tone or the or actually even the CG I think after that initial viewing I've got I've kind of set my expect you know the expectations are all you know you know by the by I know what it is and I go back in and watch it and I've watched it twice this week and I just think it, I think it is quite a good time I think it's <laughs> it's quite amusing in places it's yeah I, I like it I liked it I've got the um what's it the there's a couple of actors. well there's not many acts most of the actors in it are people a supporting cast i should say and people you don't know uh, there's the guy who plays the uh, lo- he says lawyer i think uh, somebody on imdb said made quite a good point that he would he would really introduce himself as a solicitor in 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 in, the, in england but um so the the lawyer character <laughs> who's a, a very f- familiar actor from lots of sitcoms and stuff over here so but uh, everyone else is kind of uh, unfamiliar but the i quite liked him and the characters and the sort of little burgeon you know burgeoning romance stuff that goes on with between the characters although there is a bit of confusion for me with uh scott atkins's uh, female assistant there are certain scenes that indicate some romance between them and then they do the romance between her and the uh the solicitor guy and uh I just thought that was right, a bit yeah. contradictory. It was like I was thinking, well, hang on a minute—he's—he's he's kind of acting like it's his girlfriend a little bit, and then the other was uh, I don't know if they were a bit undecided about what relationships were going to develop there. But uh, the yeah, I do—I don't mind the CG. You know, in retrospect, I think it stands up. Um, I've seen worse both then and more recently. Uh, so I think it's—it's it, it's not the CG itself. I think that's the problem for me. It's the creature, you know, the, the the look of the creature and stuff. And a, 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 a gecko, you know, it, I can watch it; it's fine. But if they'd have made it, if they there had been some effort to make it a bit more intimidating, that would have helped. Uh, and uh, that's that's sort of more the problem. What I find interesting, we go back to the 3D thing, is that the film was filmed in 3D, but there's no when right. I, there's no real point when I'm watching it that you think that they're playing up to that, you know, the whole or pointing something out at the screen sort of approach to th- uh, to 3D that was, you know, the, 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 what everyone thinks of with 3D, of, like, something jumping out at you. There's not really a lot of stuff in the movie where jumping out at you stuff kind of happens. I mean, I presume that, you know, if it, when it did a it, uh, show in cinemas, that there wasn't a lot of 3d in it. <laughs> I can't imagine uh, a couple of bits with the creature jumping out of the water and stuff, maybe, but every, I can't, I can't see any more than that. So that, that's a bit weird. Um, the interestingly, they had the guy who was the, who, who looks after the 3d on universal soldier day of reckoning uh, came back for this one Or they got, or they hired him for this one. So there's a Scott Adkins connection. There, but the, I get, but that film as well. I, I don't think, because I, I never saw that in 3D. I don't know where that was released in 3D, but that's a very different kind of movie that had a lot of other stuff going on in it. So I think there was more, possibly more happened in that one. It'd be really interesting to see it. Do you know if Day of Reckoning was ever really You know, is is there a disc out there in 3D that you've heard of? Because there's definitely not one in the case of this film.
0: You know, they've they've talked about it. I mean I remember when it was in pre-production, it was mentioned, but you know, I think that might have been and I could be completely wrong, but I think that might have been one of the ways they were trying to kind of sell the film. But I don't know if they ever well no, maybe they did film it in 3D. But I mean it didn't really get a theatrical release, at least here in the States at all. And the few theaters it played in, I know for a fact those weren't uh 3D. So so I don't really know. Yeah, but Last thing I will say about the CGI, which is pretty funny, is, okay, the the only time we really see CGI is when the characters are all in the dark, okay, when they're in the cave or at the beginning when they're chasing the bear (laughs) at the dark, which, let's be honest, I think it's in the dark so that they can better mask what they're working with. Because there's a moment where, I don't know about you, but I busted up laughing. So the film ends where Preston's team rejoice at the fact that they've been able to capture this legendary lizard beast safely and humanely. Although, (laughs) unfortunately, any scenes of the titular beast in daylight or in captivity are never shown. So I guess we just kind of have to take the character's word for it that, oh yeah, they were able to capture that beast off screen, and (laughs) and we just have to kind of go with it. So, all right, there's the budget for you
1: yeah we don't get a, a godzilla Kong kind of thing where that where we see it being carried by helicopters and uh, and stuff like that it's literally just um well it's actually before that you know where the bit where Adkins survives at the end and everyone he's, he's told everyone else to go and they're out on the boat he like gets from the cave to, uh, out to like to their boat like sw- swims out like really quickly <laughs> it's, it's like, I, yeah. I just thought that it felt like there was there was a disconnect between those scenes or maybe something was missing. Out. So I don't know. It just sort of seemed a bit funny because um, he, he, you know, did he, did he hold his breath all the way <laughs> there or something, but, but you know, and swim like, like whoosh, like really quickly or something anyway. But yeah, you never see that. You kind of have that finale with the, with the creature and then you don't really see much of it part uh, after that. I think all they do at the end is repeat a shot, which we saw earlier in the film, of it swimming in the water, which in, in earlier in the film, it was in the lake. And now it's in a different, it's in a lake, but it's in a, uh, like a compound. So they, they didn't even do extra footage. You know, they didn't do extra animation for that. They just used the same thing, which is, um, I'm not sure. Did they capture? Cause it turns out there's two creatures, uh, I think, but the, um, did they capture the little one or the big one? I'm, I'm not sure on that. Or did they capture? I them? thought it
0: was the, I thought it was they captured the the big one. I thought. Oh, I mean, I don't know yet. Yeah, yeah. l- listeners out here, spoiler. Sorry, Rich. Golly, man, you just spoiled it. We find out there's actually no, two man, I'm sorry. of these. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was I was more perturbed and amazed at the fact that again another line that they just throw out in in passing dialogue at the end of this film. We find out that uh, Harker mysteriously disappeared from the cave and is never seen mm-hmm. again. So. Not only was he able to survive being thrown across the cave, hitting the wall of the cave, falling down at least 20, 30 feet. He doesn't get bloody. He doesn't, or any broken bones that we know of, anything like that. But that's the last we see of him in this particular film, is him just knocked out. And then the characters just kind of casually toss aside. Oh, Harker disappeared. No word from him. Oh, well, if he does show up again, we'll be... We'll be ready. We'll be waiting. And you're kind of like, what? Okay. Like, what happened here? And then what's what's also funny is how they're all happy and rejoicing at the fact that, okay, yeah, they were able to capture this this legendary monster. And then the team, they're alerted to their next assignment, which apparently is to search for some mystical winged flying creature. And as they're discussing this, the camera pans out and the credits roll Clearly, they're trying to set this up for the next film, which um, is always a bit of a risky gamble to do. And uh, again, another spoiler for you. None of those sequels ever ever arrived.
1: No, and I, I think that's a shame because I would have actually really liked to see uh, another one. I maybe if, if it had done well and they could have invested a little bit more in it. Um, I think this was also the first uh, the producer, um, uh, Chris Milburn, was Looking at it as, oh, this is a new opportunity. We're, we're going to make more films in China. And, you know, I think that, I think the, this was like a one and done kind of thing in both senses. They didn't get to do a franchise and they also didn't, as far as I know, they didn't make any more films in China. It just was an experiment that kind of didn't pay off. Uh, interesting. I thought the, um, uh, going back to the direct, the director, Eric Styles, uh, you commented about, uh, his, him, him not doing, action and that's very much true he'd worked with uh chris milburn the producer twice before and one was like a period film and the other was like a, a like a very light uh british comedy uh, based on an old coward play and he and he, he's kind of a journeyman director he's done lots of other things including thrillers in america with melanie griffith and stuff like that but There's this is a very odd film in his filmography. He's very much a journeyman, and maybe he was like, Oh, yeah, I'll try something different. I I think maybe some of the some of the flaws are that he's more of a people person kind of director. He wants to, he, he, you know, he needs a strong script and strong actors, uh, and you know, for the for the strong comedy and drama and stuff. And in in this movie, he's kind of uh, out of his element because having that sort of. Uh, having that creature which he you know obviously he couldn't visualize or have on set or anything maybe that was a problem for it and and that's why it didn't sort of pan out for for him but I thought in in terms of what what him and you know the cinematographer and everything pulled together in terms of the overall look and feel and pacing of the film I think was fine Uh, and I do like I do quite like that Ending and there's a little bit of a twist thrown in, at, uh, you know, obviously we have the, the twist that I've just spoiled, but there's another twist, which I won't spoil. Um, the, the, there's another little uh, turn of events at the, at the very end. Uh, and I think, yeah, there's more we the, that. Put, See, that. And I didn't stay
0: shot. long enough for that. Do, do I need to I didn't stay well, the, long enough for that. Do I need to go uh, back through and watch the credits?
1: No, no, that's just before it pulls out. If it, the 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 twist with the character being revealed to be uh, a, a different different to who oh. he, said he was.
0: Okay, that's the reason that's I thought you meant. Okay, all right, I, I was getting worried there, Rich. I thought this was going to pull like a Marvel post-credits oh, thing no. or something like that. I don't. I don't there's no. not the,
1: no. There's not like a bit where like like an egg is shown or, or anything <laughs> like that. But the uh, uh, the the. So that bit where they reveal the compound and they pull back and they start playing Brian Adams, it was um, that was a very CG shot, and I wonder if that was one of the sort of the signature shots they were trying to do with 3D or something. I don't know, but again, that doesn't quite work. I mean, the it's it's very obviously CG, and uh, not really. And even in that shot, you don't see the creature when they pull out. There's no like, because normally you would see like if if let's say if it was a Jurassic Park or something, I would pull back and like oh, there's all the there's all the dinosaurs in the background while well, they're 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 in the sort of safety of the of the compound kind of thing. And it's like no, the, you you literally don't see anything. <laughs> it's like it's just a landscape, but it's just a CGI landscape. So that's a bit odd. But uh, yeah, so the creature itself okay. is not shown at the end of the movie. There's no there's no bit you know like um. You know, like Ghostbusters where Slimer sort of flies towards the camera or something. You know, a lot of movies would do the last shock with the creature. It's like they they just go, No, no, we're not gonna show the creature anymore. Now he's been caught. So it's, it's like that that's 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 done. We're not we're not gonna we're not gonna worry him anymore about that. Um let's just concentrate on the new adventure, get all excited for the next adventure, which isn't gonna happen.
0: Wasn't that I mean, I'm glad you brought that up, but yeah, that, that was Brian Adams playing at the end. Um, what was what was the name of that, of that song? Is it Tonight in Babylon?
1: Tonight in Babylon. Yeah, it's not a Brian Adams song, but it's a, it's a song he co-wrote and does the vocals on, but it's like some uh, DJ or something. is actually sort of the credited main artist of, who did the music and stuff. But I, I do think it's a really catchy song. It's just very odd at the end of this movie. It just doesn't it's really... It's weird fit. coming that, in. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's very weird. <laughs> well, I think... Well, I think we've we've found the song that's going to play at the end of this episode. So there you go. <laughs> if, if it wasn't weird enough to come in at the end of that movie, it's going to be even weirder coming in at the end of this song. Well, you know what? One of the reviews I was reading, and I know we're getting to the end, but one of the reviews that I read um, brought up a really interesting uh, 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 comparison, I think we can say, is do you remember those movies from the 70s with uh, Doug McClure?
1: Yes, yes.
0: So... <laughs> So this, (laughs) this one is, it's kind of similar to, to those particular films, which I think is fine. I don't think there's anything wrong with making a movie today that kind of harkens back to a forgotten genre, but I think kind of going along with what I said earlier, I think if you're going to do that, then either a make an effort to kind of at least update it. Okay. Just a little bit, you know, slightly or, purposely lean way far into the silly but this isn't doing that and again i think it's taking itself serious so it ends up kind of being right on par with those doug mcclure films from the late 70s which is really interesting considering this came like almost 40 years after those particular films but anyone who um <laughs> who's coming in and seeing legendary i highly recommend you check out any of those uh, mcclure films what was there weren't there a couple that were like something in Atlantis, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and Warlords of Atlantis. Of yes. <laughs> yes, Warlords of Atlantis, yes. So um, in any case, well, Richard, this has been a ton of fun. I mean, I, dude, I always love Chad with you, and it always gives us a good excuse to try new beverages. But um, as, as we wrap this up, as we get to the end, what do you think what is your final take would you I know you're huge also I know you're a big uh, fan of Scott Atkins as well so looking at uh, at this film as a film in general but also as a Dolph Lundgren vehicle and as a Scott Atkins vehicle where does this one stand for you and would this one get a recommend
1: it does get a recommend I think with with reservations as long as you know what you're getting when you're when you're you know going into it I think it's definitely worth seeing uh, it's it's interesting to see Scott in a non-action heavy role. Uh, and it's also cool seeing Dolph playing this quite fun villain. Uh, and yeah, it's just something a little bit different in their both their filmographies, especially coming off of, you know, the, the, the Expendables and Universal Soldier. Uh, to non-fans, I think it's, I, I think I would still recommend it as a light Sunday afternoon view, but you, if you're not, you're not going to be, if you're not invested in, uh, Scott and Dolph, as a fan, and you're coming at it completely for you, what you probably won't know who anyone you know you're coming if you were coming, uh, let's say I, sh- I showed it to my mum or something, you, would, you would probably wouldn't know uh, who some of these guys are. I think they would probably be, you know, it would be fine, it would be uh, uh disposable viewing, it's not going to offend anyone or upset anyone. They might be a bit like, oh, I'd rather have watched you know, the mummy or something instead, where uh, where a lot more is happening, but. I still think there's, there's something to be, there's something to enjoy here. Uh, I just think you, you have your expectations in check. It's certainly a lot better than, let's say, uh, the Asylum have done some of those kind of adventure films. You know, they've tried to do their take on Alan Quatermain and things like that and they've got no money. And, uh, I think it's, it's much, much better than an Asylum movie. It's just not as good as a, Hollywood movie uh, uh, generally uh, that, that's, it's kind of, it sits in a very awkward middle ground. It's, 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 uh, it's kind of, um, yeah, it's, it's not everything that they hoped. Be. Sorry, I'm rambling, but yes, I do recommend it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, no, thank you very much for that. I mean, for me, I felt like th- this film is for Dolph Lundgren and Scott Adkins completists only. I really don't think anybody else is going to want to seek this out or sit through it. Um, I think it's uh, it's only to be watched by fans to kind of fulfill that necessary mandatory viewing quota, I think we can say. Um, other than the beautiful scenery that's on display, I really don't think there's much else of note in this one. Um, the special effects aren't as terrible as some of the reviews have pointed out. However, they're still very, very laughable considering um, both Dolph and Scott Atkins are trying with what they've been given, but in the end, it's it's not nearly on the level of what we've come to expect, appreciate, and love from both of these stars. For me personally, I didn't find it to be an awful movie, but it also wasn't silly enough to enjoy mystery science theater 3000 type viewing experience either so so you and i are kind of similar in in some respects i think you probably enjoyed it a little bit more but um i really do appreciate you coming on i had a great time chatting with you so so thank you for and and again man you watched this thing twice in one week in preparation for this so your dedication richard is commendable for so many reasons thank you
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you. I, well, I always try my best and I just wanted, the one thing I didn't mention uh, earlier, which is the music for the film, which is kind of a like a, I think of it as like a national treasure style of score, like dun, 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 dun. it's very lively. I do think that's one of the more fun aspects of the movie is, is that music. Um, so I just want to sort of credit that as, as something cause I, I feel bad that I didn't mention that earlier. I, I don't have the name of the composer to hand, but I thought they did quite a good job there. And, uh, yeah, no, it was great. Uh, thank, thanks for It was nice to have an excuse to watch it again, because um, it's it's not one I've, you know, I've seen for quite a long time. And uh, I did enjoy it. And uh, I did enjoy it both times that I watched it.
0: Well, before I let you go, um, is there anything you want to give a shout out to plug or mention? I, I know we've we've talked before about um, about your respective podcast, but what's new? What's going on? Uh, you you, you the, the time is yours. The mic is yours. You, you have control of the show. What's new?
1: Oh uh, no! Just um, thank you. Yeah, the, um, we do uh, a, a weekly podcast. Uh, my uh, my pal Mike and I—it's uh, his show, uh, the DTV Digest—and uh, that we put out episodes every week. And but there's a, a side project that I manage, which is uh, the DTV Digest Short Shots Twitter feed, uh, where we post a new, uh, a recommended—I shouldn't say new—a uh, recommended short film. Every day at eight o'clock. That's a project I really enjoy. So I, I sort of scour through quite a lot of films, and uh, it, that's a that's I've, I've discovered so many great things uh, through there, both from established uh, filmmakers and and new filmmakers uh, working in uh, different levels of, of budget. Uh, and there's over we've got um, well over five hundred. I mean, probably over six hundred now uh, by the time you're listening to this. And the, um, uh, so, so many films of different genres uh, from martial arts and action and horror and stuff. So, um, if you've never, what if uh, listeners, if you've not, I mean, Dolph hasn't really made any short films. Uh, so I can't point you in the direction of any that he's done, but I would say if you've not spent much time watching short films, uh, do have a little dip in, uh, some of some, uh, there's some really great stuff out there. Um, that I would uh, definitely encourage uh, seeking out. So for example, there's a, a, a Roddy Piper did a film called portal to hell, which is a huge amount of fun. And, uh, I've also recently, uh, discovered, uh, there was a f- film called, uh, there was a film with, oh, I can't remember the name of it now, but, uh, No, uh, there was one with Marissa, Laboratory Conditions. That was what it was called, yeah. So uh, Marissa Tomei did a film called Laboratory Conditions, which I discovered, which that was from a few years ago. I didn't know about that. Um, So that and, you know, those films and and much more. Seven days a week, around eight o'clock UK time. Uh, So, um, yeah, please do check out the DTV Digest Short Shots or DTV Short Shots as it is on Twitter. That's the handle.
0: Well, Richard, again, thank you very, very much. Um, I do appreciate it. Uh, To everyone out there who is listening, please feel free to rate and review the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you go to subscribe. We always appreciate the reviews. And closing out this episode, uh, we are going to pull a bit of a 180 uh, tonally, similar to what the film Legendary uh, uh, did as well. Um, (laughs) Closing out this episode uh, will be the song Tonight in Babylon, uh, performed by Love Rush UK, featuring Brian Adams. This is the song that played in the closing credits for Legendary. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next time on I Must Break This Podcast.